Gospels. And the passage we're going to look at this morning, uh, you can find in Matthew 14, you can find in Mark chapter 6, and you can find also in John chapter 6. Uh, we're going to look at uh, John's account and Matthew's account. We're uh, going to go verse by verse uh, through Matthew's account. Uh, so if you want to go ahead and turn to John 6.15, and then also turn to Matthew 14, verse 23. I'll give you a second to find your place there. Actually, instead of John, why don't you turn to Mark? Mark chapter 6. Just keeping you on your toes today. So last week we, we looked at the story, we looked at the account of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Uh, and at the end of that story, we have the crowd was so amazed, the crowd was, was so impressed by the miracle that Jesus had done that they wanted to make Jesus king right then. And we talked about the fact that it was not time for for Jesus to rule at that point in the way that they wanted him to. They wanted him to free them from the Romans. They wanted political freedom. It was not Jesus' time to rise up on that platform yet. Uh, Jesus was, was so much more than just a political king. And still true today, Jesus is so much, so much more than just, just a political king or, or someone who can just give peace or someone who can just give comfort. He is so much greater than that. If, if you look at verse 22 in Matthew chapter 14, this will kind of bring us into the context of where we're at today. Matthew 14, 22 says, And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. So Jesus' response to the people trying to make him king, to try to trying to set up him as, as king right then and there, was he's going to send the disciples away, and then he's going to send the multitudes away. And it's, it's interesting to me that, that he's going to send the disciples away here. Uh, the word constrained is used. Uh, he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and go to the other side. That word constrained indicates that there was some... Um, a little apprehension of the disciples to leave. And Jesus had to tell them, get in the boat and sail to the other side. You could imagine the disciples wanting to stay with Jesus, wanting to see what was going to happen, what the people were going to do. Uh, so it, it's interesting to me that Jesus would send the disciples away. And there are so many different theories I read why, why this happened. Um, what we do know is that Jesus had more to teach them and he's going to send them away on this ship. He's going to get them out of there. And he had some lessons to teach them along the way. And there's going to be a whole lot that happens in the next nine hours or so that the disciples are on this, on this ship trying to row to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. So Jesus sends the disciples away. He sends the multitudes away. Um, he's not going to let the people set him up as king right then. We know that Jesus is the King of kings. We know that Jesus is the Lord of lords. But we also know that he's so much more than what they wanted him to be. So he's going to send them away, going to send the disciples away. Look at verse 23 of Matthew 14. 
And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. So we have Jesus going further up the mountain, going further up this hillside, getting alone to pray, getting some time alone with his Father. While Jesus is going up to pray, while Jesus is praying, we have his disciples on a boat trying to row across to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And this should have been a pretty simple task, a task that the disciples, most of them, had done multiple times. But we know that there's, there's a lot more that's going to happen in the ship that night or in the boat that night. All right, now let's turn to Matthew chapter 6. I know you've anxiously been waiting, or sorry, Mark chapter 6. I'll get it right. Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 45. And straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side before unto Bethsaida while he sent away the people. And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on the land. And he saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed by them. But when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit, and cried out. For they all saw him and were troubled, and immediately he talked with them, and said unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And he went up unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased, and they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure, and wondered. For they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. And when they had passed over, they came into the land of Gennesaret and drew to the shore. Let's pray, and then we're going to look at the details um, of this account. Uh, and we'll be back in Matthew 14 for that. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much uh, that we can, we can meet together today. I thank you that we can worship you, that we can sing praises to you, praises that are, that are just so true and, and we could sing about your greatness all day we could speak of your greatness forever and we'd barely begin to scratch the surface of how wonderful that you truly are i pray that you will be with us now i pray that you'll give us understanding i pray that you'll work in our hearts i pray mostly father that you will be glorified that as we look at this story as we see you working in the disciples as we see you you working through christ as we see christ revealing himself to be the messiah to be to be the king of kings to be the lord of lords i pray that that we will focus on you and what you have done and we will give you the praise and the worship that you are so worthy of uh, please bless our time together now in jesus name i pray amen all right matthew chapter 14 uh, we have another series of events packed full of evidences for the fact that Jesus is in fact God, that Jesus is the Messiah. We have Jesus praying, we have the disciples obediently traveling to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Whether they wanted to or not, Jesus told them to get into the boat, they were in the boat, they were traveling, they were obeying, they were doing what God had them to do. Verse 24 but the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with the waves, 
for the wind was contrary. So they had been rowing all night. And I'm going to ask you again to try to try to picture this. I know you know the story. I know you know how it ends. I know you know the details in the middle. But I'm going to ask you, if you will, to kind of picture this going on so we can be reminded fresh of God's greatness, of pictures of God's greatness and of the power of Jesus. So picture the disciples, picture these apostles in the boat rowing all night. They were still only three to four miles from the shore. So they're out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee here. They should have been to their destination. The waves are tossing them around. They're trying to go that way. The wind is blowing this way. The wind is contrary to them. The waves are tossing them. They're struggling to row to get across. Mark 6.48 says they were toiling and rowing. So they're struggling to get to the other side. It appears that their lives are even in danger. Are you picturing this somewhat? Can you imagine these apostles struggling to get to the other side? I mean, water is scary to me, especially big water and deep water, and then you add darkness to it, and the fact you can't get where you want to go, and the wind's blowing, and just crazy events going on right here. We have the disciples. Think about them. They're just trying to obey. They're trying to do what God wanted them to do. They're working as hard as they can, but they're stuck, and it looks like they might die out in the middle of the lake. And I, I picture them thinking, why did Jesus send us out here? We could have stayed with him. We could have been safe. You know, we could be up in the mountain praying with him. This is me thinking it. You won't find that in the Bible. But I imagine, we know how our minds wander when, when we don't like the situation that we're in or the temptation we have. To, what is God doing with me here? Why am I here? I'm just trying to do what he wants me to do. Why am I stuck in this storm? And we have the disciples stuck out in the sea. Jesus had truths to teach his disciples. He had things he needed to teach them. Right? His ministry, he's spending training, part of his ministry is training the disciples to carry on his mission after he returns to heaven. Jesus knew exactly where the disciples were. He didn't just send them on their own and say, you know, good luck, you're on your own. I know there's a storm coming, the wind's blowing, but hopefully you make it. He knew where they were. He knew what they were going through. He knew what was going on in the Sea of Galilee. He knew just what they needed to learn, and He knew just how to teach them. Isn't that incredible the way God works? How He knows exactly what we need. He knows exactly what we're going through. He knows exactly what we're facing. And in His plan, He's, he's working through it all. And we see that happening here. Luke 6 tells us that Jesus saw them. Remember, it's dark. It's in the fourth watch. It's dark. Jesus is up on the mountain praying, and he sees them. He knows what's going on. He knows what they're facing. Jesus was not surprised by their situation. And we see evidence that he is all-knowing, and we see that he is an omnipresent God. Verse 25 of Matthew 14 and in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. So Jesus, knowing right where they were, the disciples aren't where they want to be, but Jesus knew right where they were. So Jesus starts walking towards them. 
And remember where they are. They're in the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus is walking towards them, walking across on top of the water towards them. The timing of this is during the fourth watch. The Romans broke down the, the timing of the night in, in four watches. First one was six to nine. Then you go nine to twelve, twelve to three. And the fourth watch would be three to six in the morning. So they had been on the sea for roughly nine hours. If Jesus sent them away in the evening, they had been out there rowing for nine hours. And thinking of this, we, we would know that they would have a, a good grasp on the Old Testament. They would know of God's faithfulness. They would know stories of, of how God had worked. I just wonder if maybe Psalm 139 came to their mind. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand hold me. I wonder if that popped into their minds because you know they're struggling. You know they're questioning. You know they're wondering. I wonder if they maybe grabbed onto this psalm this thought of God being with them even in this horrible situation. They're getting tossed around the sea and here comes Jesus walking on the water towards them. It's a huge storm, waves all over the place, and Jesus is walking right through it. I mean, it's not like it's a nice, calm, glassy surface or it's iced over or anything like that. Jesus is walking right through the storm, walking right through the waves, walking right out towards, him, towards them. The winds, the waves, the water are no match for his power. And you can see God's power on display even in the small details that are so easy to overlook in the story of Jesus walking right through these waves like it's nothing. We see Jesus demonstrating power over his creation. And in reading this, reading commentaries on this and, and trying to grasp understanding and details, you have so many different commentators trying to explain this miracle away. Like Jesus was just walking on the shore, maybe like, you know, on the edge of the shore, kind of pittering through the, the puddles that are splashing up. Why do we need to try to explain that away? Isn't God big enough and powerful enough that if he wants to have power over his creation, he wants to walk across the water, he absolutely can do that. There is no reason to try to explain away God's miracles because of liberal thinking. That it's impossible so he couldn't do it. Well, it's not impossible for God to do that. It's completely possible for God to have complete power over his creation. The true God is greater than his creation. He is all-powerful. I also love the thought that, that Jesus went unto them. We see a glimpse of his care and his concern for his disciples and for his people. And you could say, well, if he cared about them, why did he send them out into a storm? Well, he had a lesson to teach them. He's keeping them completely safe. He's working in them through this. But we see the picture of his care and concern as he sees they're in trouble and he starts walking towards them. In my own life, I'm so thankful for the love and the care and the concern of Jesus. The comfort that he gives, the care that he gives, even when we are surrounded by the storms of life and the waves of life. Look at verse 26. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. 
Now, this, I really love imagining this part. Because we have grown men in a boat rowing. I mean, can you imagine this? Can you imagine someone walking across the water to them? Mark 6.50 tells us that they all saw him and were troubled. The disciples are rowing like crazy. They're trying to get to the other side. They're trying to stay alive. They're fighting fatigue. It's somewhere between 3 and 6 in the morning. They are tired. Like, I've tried to paddle around, like, on a canoe, and I'm tired after just a, a few paddles. You know, you're just stuck going in a circle because you're trying to paddle by yourself, and the person in the front doesn't know what they're doing. And, and so picture the disciples out, out on the sea here paddling. They know what they're doing. They're working hard. They're, they're fighting for their lives. They're fighting the wind. They're fighting the waves. Now they all see what they think to be a ghost or a spirit walking on the water. I mean, can this night get any crazier for them? And it will get a little crazier in a minute here. But they start screaming and they start yelling. I imagine them just being scared out of their minds. Imagine how you would respond if this was you. You're already scared to death and then you think you see a ghost. And grown men yelling and screaming, scared of what's going on. They cried out, literally means to yell out loud. Verse 27, But straightway Jesus spake unto them. So Jesus knows the fear that they are feeling. And He immediately, He sees that they're struggling. He sees that they're scared out of their minds. And immediately, He talks to them to try to calm them down. He cries out to comfort them. Look what He says. Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. So be of good cheer. Tell them, have courage, guys. I hear you screaming and yelling. Have courage. It is I. Be not afraid. He said, God is here. It is I. You do not need to be afraid. Their storm was not too big for Christ. The storm around them and the storm inside of them, their emotional storm and their physical storm, neither one was too big for Christ. Isn't that a great picture right there? Nothing we face is too big for Christ. Jesus was there and He could honestly say, be not afraid. I am greater than your storms. You can trust Me. Look at verse 28. Here comes, here comes Peter. And Peter answered Him and said, Lord, if it be Thou, bid Me come unto Thee on the water. So Jesus tells them to have courage. Be comforted. I'm here. It's going to be okay. And who do we have piping up? We have, we have Peter. Lord, if it's really you, let me get out of this boat and let me walk to you on the water. I see you have the power to walk on water. Let me get out. Let me, let me try this out. I wonder how the disciples looked at Peter when he said that. Like, Peter, are you sure about that? Why don't you just ask Jesus to calm the sea down and get in the boat and help us get to the other side? We're kind of tired here. But Peter wants to walk on the water to go see Jesus. 
there's an element of faith here. Uh, we see Jesus say, you have little faith. But there is an element of faith for Peter to get out of the boat and then walk to Jesus. You ever tried walking on water? This might... When you're a kid, imagine back then. Did you ever try like running on like those in-ground pools just trying to run across the water? How does that work out for you? It doesn't happen, right? And we have Jesus in, standing on the water, and then Peter says, Jesus, let me come to you if it's really you. Jesus, I believe it's you, but, but help, help me out here. I want to walk to you. Verse 29, Jesus doesn't say, Peter, you're crazy. Jesus says, and he said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Now, I said there were some lessons Jesus had for the disciples to learn. Could you imagine seeing God work in this way? Could you imagine how that, how that would, would strengthen your, your view of, of God here? And Jesus is teaching them so many things here. They're learning this stuff fresh as grown men. Stuff that we've been able to learn our whole lives, they're learning this stuff fresh. And Jesus keeps giving them evidences that, listen, I am God. You can trust in me. You can trust in what I say. You can trust in the ministry that I have for you. Jesus tells them this, but it's all fresh and new to them. And imagine the strengthening of their faith it would be, first of all, to see Jesus. Then they see Peter walking to Jesus. Jesus says, come. Peter obeys. He starts walking on the water to Jesus. Then look at verse 30. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. So Peter gets out of the boat. He starts walking to see, to, towards Jesus. There's that element of faith there. But then all of a sudden what happens, he starts focusing on all the stuff around him. Which I give him credit just for getting out and getting on the water. I don't know that I could have done that. I would have watched him do it. So we have Peter out of the boat, and then his focus changes from, I, I believe you're Christ, I'm walking towards you. His focus changes of, oh no, I, I can't do this. this. This storm is too big, I can't do this. How am I going to stay up? How am I going to stay afloat? Instead of trusting in Christ, that it was Christ that was allowing him to do this, he starts questioning. His, his focus changes. I can't possibly be walking on the water, especially in a storm like this. And he starts going down, starts sinking. You imagine how scary that would be? I mean, I picture him in the, the robe and the unable to swim clothes. And he starts sinking and no hope. He's drowning. But he cries out, Lord, save me. You're the only hope that I have right now. Please save me. Look how Jesus responds. And immediately, Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him up. Can you picture that? A floundering, sinking, grown man. And Jesus just reaches down and grabs him and pulls him out of the water to safety. And he said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Why are you doubting? You were walking on water. I'm right here. Why were you doubting? And he, he calls him out for his lack of faith. 
You have little faith. Why did you doubt me? I'm right here with you. I've got you this far. Why are you doubting me? And we can say, Peter, you're crazy. Why wouldn't you trust Jesus? But can't we relate to that in some ways today? Where Why didn't Peter have faith? He saw God working. Has God not proven himself over and over and over again? Has he not proven his faithfulness? Why do we, why do we doubt God? Let's not give Peter a hard time. Let's consider God's greatness in that God is faithful. And our place to run to when we get in trouble is not to yell at God and call out God and say, God, why aren't you doing this for me? It's to rest in God and trust in God and to have faith in God that he is working in whatever is going on. And he is completely trustworthy and we can have confidence in him. Now, Peter would learn a lot about faith. Um, he would later write uh, in 1 Peter uh, speaking of faith, 1 Peter um, chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, he says, uh, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptation. So talking about people going through different things, he says that the trial of your faith bringeth much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. So this is Peter writing here down the road as he had learned some things about faith. And I told you God was teaching his disciples here. Christ was teaching his disciples here some lessons. And we have Peter learning those lessons. And then he gets later in life and he says, people, you can rejoice when trials come. Because Christ is faithful. And we can look forward to that hope that we have in him. So Peter grew in his understanding of, of faith. Look at verse 32 of Matthew 14. And when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. So Jesus gets in the boat with Peter. The wind stops. Just like that. Power over nature. He didn't have to even have to speak this time. He just gets in the boat. The sea is like glass. The disciples didn't mistake who it was that calmed the storm. Look how they respond to Jesus. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped Him, saying of a truth, Thou art the Son of God. They recognized Jesus as the Son of God. He was who He said He was. John tells us of another miracle that happened. John 6, verse 21. Jesus gets in the boat. Verse 21. Then they willingly received him into the ship, and immediately the ship was at the land whither they went. So do you see that miracle taking place? They've been rowing for hours trying to get there. They can't get there. The storm's too big. The waves are too big. Jesus gets in the boat. The storm stops. Boom, they're at their destination. That's power. God is all-powerful, and Jesus is God, and he was proving himself to be God through his miracles. They were immediately, immediately at their destination. Just an amazing display of power. Then verse 33, let's look at that again. Then they that were in the ship came 
and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. Now don't, don't miss that. Because I believe this is what Jesus, this was the big thing Jesus was accomplishing through this miracle. Was they worshipped him. They recognized. It was confirmed in their mind that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is who he says he is. And they worshipped him. Because he is God. They proclaimed his true identity. They moved from amazement to worship. Jesus had been doing some amazing miracles throughout the, the previous days. They had seen these miracles. They were amazed at his miracles. The multitudes were also amazed at his miracles. But we see much of the, the majority of the multitudes walking away, not liking what he had to say, not liking who he was, not liking his message. And we have his disciples recognizing, worshiping him as God and claiming his true identity as the Son of God. Yes, Jesus is amazing, and he accomplishes many amazing things. But he is the Son of God, and he is worthy of praise, and he should be praised. Jesus is so much more than a miracle worker, or a, a doer of good deeds, or a, a good teacher. Jesus is the Son of God. And he is worthy of praise. Many people today miss this. They, they like the idea of, of Jesus doing good things and Jesus being able to do miracles and, and maybe Jesus even helping them out sometimes when, when they're in trouble. And there's this amazement of the idea of Jesus. But we find people often not moving from amazement to worship. See, we, we need to worship God whether, whether life is good or whether life is, is bad. People who are amazed, just simply amazed by Jesus, seem to be stuck of only worshiping and praising God when, when life is good. But when we move from amazement to truly worshiping God, we understand that He is worthy of praise. And He is great, and He is good, and He is holy, and He is just, and He is righteous, no matter what is going on around us. He is worthy to be praised. He is an all-powerful, almighty, holy God. And He is worthy of praise. Let's pray together. Dear Father, I thank You so much for this time together. I thank you that, that we can look at you and we can see your power on display. We can see, uh, we can see Jesus working through this, this incredible story. We can see that you are worthy to be praised and that Jesus is in fact God. That he is the, the lamb that came to take away the sins of the world. That he is the, the satisfactory payment to meet your just demands. That Jesus is our only hope to forgive us for our sins and to free us from the just punishment that we deserve. I thank you so much for the, the way that you work and the way that you're there and the way that you're faithful and the way that we can trust in you no matter what comes our way. I pray that you will help us to have this attitude of, of worship and this heart of worship and that we will recognize you in your holiness. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Uh, 
I'd ask the piano to play right now, and, and let's just take some time, uh, maybe at, at your seat, and just, just spend some time in prayer, praising God for His greatness. Maybe asking God to help you. Maybe there's something in your life you're struggling with. Maybe there's some storm that you're going through right now where you need to be reminded that God is great even in the storm. Let's spend some time in prayer with our 